Greetings from New York City. I'm Tim Cox. And I'm Peace Isagon. We're from Redeemer City to City. We're talking with our staff and friends of City to City around the world as we're all trying to figure out how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. As of March 15th, churches around the world were advised against or legally prohibited from meeting in person. So one question everyone's asking around the world is how can we be the church if we can't gather together in person? This week, people are asking even more questions as it's becoming clear that many of these restrictions against gathering might last several weeks or even longer. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tim Keller, and I am one of the co-founders of the Ministry of City to City, which started about 20 years ago. And the Ministry of City to City is to help leaders start and also strengthen churches in the great global cities of the world. As we all know, the uh, pandemic today, the hotspot of the pandemic is so often in the cities. And the church leaders in those cities need a tremendous amount of support right now. And that's one of the things that City to City is seeking to do. Um, this, mor this morning, I was on a phone call, um, excuse me, yesterday morning, I was on a phone call with pastoral leaders around the world. Uh, tonight, here I am seeking to talk to the entire community and uh, trying to simply at this point, just give some words of comfort. Now this is Easter season. And so I'm going to be talking to you about what Easter tells us uh, in a time like this, basically in a year of, I think it's fair to say in a year of death. I'm in, in the middle of New York City and, and now what's happening is almost every, well, essentially every day, this week, I've talked to somebody who knew someone who has died and not the sort of thing you might think of. So yesterday, I talked to someone who knew of a, a seventh grader who had just died. Today, I talked to somebody uh, who uh, knows of a third grader in Brooklyn that just died and of a young mother who actually was volunteering at the hospital who also caught it and died and left behind a three and a five-year-old, I think. See, that's what we're up against. I'm, 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 not, I'm not trying to twist the knife. That's what we're up against. But Easter is more than a match for any kind of darkness. I want to read to you the, uh, the first time Easter was ever preached. It was on Pentecost, uh, the very first day that the, the church received the Holy Spirit and Peter spoke. And it's the very first sermon we have. It's the very beginning of, uh, of uh, the church. And the resurrection was preached. And here's what Peter said. This is Acts chapter two, verse 22 to 24. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Let's just notice three things in these uh, three verses. Uh, let's notice a hidden plan, a broken power, and a champion. Uh, first of all, the hidden plan. In, in, in verse 22, well, before I even read you again verse 22, let me just... Uh, let me just remember with you the, the sort of questions that get asked at a time like this. One of the questions is, uh, where was God it, when all this happened? You know, why is God allowing this? Another question is, why did God do this? 
So I get these questions from both sides. And notice each of them assumes a model of a relationship with, of God to the world. It assumes a model. So if you say, where was God? That's the idea that he was asleep at the switch. He's off somewhere. Things happen down here and he should be more aware. The other one is, uh, why has God done this? That's the puppet master version of God. That's the idea that uh, uh, God is up there and everything that happens is something that he is just simply doing. He's moving us around uh, like a puppet master moves puppets around. But that's not what you have in this verse. Look, look at this. It says, this man, Jesus Christ, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Okay, that sounds like, oh, there's a plan. It sounds like the puppet master. But then it says, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, that's a fascinating paradox. And here's what I mean by that. We have a tendency to say, well, if God's in charge, if he's doing this, then we're not responsible. It's 100% God and 0% us. Or we may say, um, if we are responsible and we, we, our choices really are the thing that drives history, then God is away sort of watching us. He might intervene here or there, do a miracle, but basically it's 100% us and 0% God, or it's 100% God or it's 0% us. Or maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's 80-20, but that's not what it says here. It says, on the one hand, it was absolutely certain that Jesus Christ was going to die on that cross. He's part of the plan. There was a plan that he had to die on the cross. So it had to happen, and yet everybody who did it was wicked. They were absolutely responsible, and yet God was completely in control, which means the things that are happening now, 9-11 happened through human action. This pandemic happened because of human actions, and yet God is right in the midst of it. Um, if you uh, take a look at the cross, and we mentioned this last time I was with you, uh, if those of you who uh, we're here when we talked about uh, Psalm 11. If you look at the cross, you're, you can imagine people standing around the cross looking up and saying, I can't see anything God could be bringing out of that. That's good. God, either he's asleep at the switch or he's evil. There's just no way this man was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. He could have saved us. He could have changed the world. And now this happened. Why would God allow such a thing? But we know that God was in the midst he was in the midst and he was working out his plan and he was actually bringing resurrection out of death. He was, he was going through the valley to the mountain. And, and let me give you another example of this. Um, Habakkuk, recently I've had a chance to be looking at that. And the prophet Habakkuk starts his prophecy by saying, Lord, he says, look at Israel. It's uh, falling apart. Uh, the people are worshiping idols. The, the rich are oppressing the poor. Everything's wrong in Israel. And now there's this Babylonian empire rising up and it's a threat. And so do something. And what God says to Habakkuk is, I am going to do something, but it's going to get way worse before it gets better. The, those Babylonians are actually going to come and they are going to wipe out. They're going to wipe out Israel. And then they're going to take them into exile. Now, that is not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. Because think about this. When the Babylonians came, they killed May, they killed and maimed so many people. They took the rest of the Jews into exile in order to get them to forget that they were Jews. They, were, they, they took them there in order to do cultural assimilation. They took them there in order to wipe out their cultural identity so that in a couple generations, they'd all think of themselves as just Babylonians. They were trying to absolutely destroy the Jewish nation. And yet, 
And, and of course, by the way, they thought this is the end of the world. This is awful. This is terrible. There's no way God can bring any good out of this. He's abandoned us. What's happened here? And yet we know from history that when they went there, they did not lose their cultural identity. They actually learned how to be a minority and keep their cultural identity. And they invented the synagogue and they reckoned with their sin finally in a way they wouldn't have otherwise. And so what God did, of course, was he brought, he brought resurrection out of death. He's always got a plan. Elizabeth Elliot tells this story. She says that uh, she was uh, at a, on a British sheep farm one day years ago and the shepherd was creating, was treating his flock um, and the, for parasites. And the way you did that was you herded them into a small enclosure and then one by one, you, you picked up the, the sheep and you held them, uh, you threw them into a vat filled with all sorts of uh, uh, chemical disinfectant and you held them under. So they felt they were drowning. And then finally you got them up and you left. And, and what she wrote was she said, she said, what must the sheep have been thinking when all this was happening? She said, uh, probably the sheep, if they could think, they would have said, I thought the shepherd cared. What in the world, he's trying to kill me. What is he trying to do? And on the other hand, of course, if the shepherd had not been doing that and the sheep couldn't understand why, they would be dead or they would certainly be miserable. And Elizabeth Elliot said, there's a plan and the sheep can't see it, but we have a shepherd and there's a plan. So there's a plan, even though it's hidden and I don't know what it is and you don't either. And yet the cross and the resurrection tells us that all things are working together for good, which means all things that God is working in the midst of is in a sense being taken up into that master narrative that through death comes resurrection and God has got a plan. So there's a, a plan, number one. Number two, there's a broken power. And what I, I love about this particular way that Peter talks about the, um, um, the, the resurrection is it says uh, God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, the word hold is a word that actually means grip, a strength. Basically, it means strength. Jesus Christ broke the strong grip of death. He, he broke its power. Uh, there's a hymn that Kathy and I sang every, every Easter in my, our little church in Hopewell, Virginia, for many years. We haven't really sung it much since, but Robert Lowey wrote a uh, hymn called uh, Christ Arose, and there's, uh, there's a, there's a, the, the words of the hymn are exuberant because they, they think about it like that. Uh, one of the lines goes like this, death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. And what does that mean? It means, of course, that Jesus Christ broke the bands of death. He broke the power of death. And in what way? Well, the Bible tells us at least two ways. So we, it's really good for us to think about them right now. The one is he broke the hold of death objectively. Uh, the reason he rose from the dead was because death no longer had any right over him because he paid the penalty for sin. And one of the ways you could put it is if you, are, um, if you um, commit a crime and the penalty for that crime is two years in prison, okay, uh, because you committed that crime and that crime has not been paid for, prison has a hold on you. It has power over you. 
uh, and it will take you in and you will stay in there and you will not be able to get out because it's got power over you. But on that last day or on the first day of the third year, uh, the prison cannot hold you. It has, because the debt's been paid and therefore it has no power over you. It cannot keep you one more minute. At midnight on that night, you are free. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that was God's way of saying, not only has he paid the debt, but everyone who believes in him has paid the debt. And therefore, death cannot keep you. You see, when death keeps, when death uh, takes you physically, uh, that is, a, that's a way for death to not only take you physically, but to take you spiritually too. There's two deaths. There's the physical death and there's spiritual death, being separated from God forever. And that's the wages of sin. Wages of sin is not just physical death. It's eternal death. But Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. And so now that means not only has he broken the power of death objectively over you, if you believe in him, but the resurrection means he's also broken the power of death subjectively. That is the fear of death. Uh, Ernest Becker has written a book. He's an atheist. And he wrote the book back in the 70s. It's not very well remembered anymore. I refer to it all the time, hoping to get people to read it. It's called The Denial of Death. And he was a secular man. And he was an atheist. But what he believed rightly was that every religion, every culture based on a religion has always had some way of helping people deal, deal with the fear of death. I see what death does to you is it, it says, if there's nothing after death, then nothing I do here will matter. Because in the end, everything I do will be forgotten. Because of course, I will die. And then other people who'd remember me for a while, they can remember things I did, but eventually, they will die and nobody will remember. And eventually, the sun will die, and everything will be wiped out. And nothing you have done, whether good or bad will make any final difference. And Ernest Becker says that the secular person who's got no way of dealing with that fear, that of nothingness, that death means that nothing we do matters, and that nothing about us is significant. He says, that is the biggest problem in our culture. And he goes along and he explains that all of our need for accruing wealth, which our modern culture has, all of our need for apocalyptic sex, he even says, all those things come from the fact that we, the secular culture has no way of dealing with the fear of death, no way to break its power over you. Uh, see, uh, Ernest Becker says, man has an awareness of his own splendid uniqueness. See, all human beings feel like, well, I am significant. He has a, an awareness of his own splendid uniqueness in that he sticks out of nature with a towering majesty. And yet, death means he goes back into the ground a few feet in order to blindly and dumbly rot and disappear forever. This idea of death, the fear of it, haunts us like nothing else. And dealing with it is the mainspring of all activity. And he goes on to say that everything in modern culture is explained all the problems we have explained because the secular culture has no real way of dealing with death and helping us deal with death. On the other hand, uh, George Herbert, the great poet, 17th century poet, has a wonderful poem where he goes like this. He says, death used to be an executioner, but because of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has made him, or the gospel has made him just a gardener. Death used to be an executioner, which means that when I died, I knew I was either, if I was a secular person, I'm just going to nothing. 
but or if you're a religious person and you know there is life after death and you know that you haven't lived life the way you should you have not been a good enough person then you're afraid of death because after death maybe there is something like eternal death some kind of stuff maybe there's hell and so we're desperately afraid we're horribly afraid of all that and yet if you if you believe in the death and resurrection of jesus christ and you put your hope in that then death used to be an executioner it came and just took us out but now it's a gardener meaning it plants us it puts us into the ground like a tulip bulb which becomes a tulip or an acorn which becomes a, a, a beautiful oak tree all it can do now is make you better that's the reason why uh, some of you may have seen this because it went all around the internet uh, a, an african-american young man preacher named jonathan Ed evans uh, tony evans son and when his mother lois died uh, he got up at the funeral and he said something that uh, uh, is exactly shows exactly how uh, Jesus Christ has broken the power of death. Uh, he gets up and he says he was praying before his mother died that God would heal her. And of course, he got an answer. And this was the answer. He says, there's always two answers to your prayers, is what God said to him. Either she's going to be healed or she's going to be healed. Either she's going to live or she's going to live. Either she's going to be with family or she's going to be with family. Either she's going to be taken care of or she was going to be taken care of. Victory belongs to me. You can find that on the internet. See, that's the end of the fear of death. It's been destroyed. Okay. And how has it been destroyed? Last thing. I said, what I like about this passage where it talks about uh, uh, God raised him from the dead because he, and freedom from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It, the, the picture is of, of God, Jesus Christ going into death the way you might go into a, an animal, you know, a fierce animal eating people, and you go into them and you blow out the back and destroy the animal and destroy its ability to hurt anybody else. I love the fact that this is a reference to Jesus Christ being the champion. Um, uh, when Kathy and I were in at Gordon Conwell Seminary, there was a professor there, Dr. Bill Lane, taught New Testament. And he looked at the uh, passages in, in Hebrews that talked about how Jesus Christ freed us from the fear of death. And he said there was a very interesting word there in which it talked about, sometimes it's translated, he was the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But it's a word that means, it's the word archegos that means champion. And this is the, this is the, uh, the passage. It says in, in Hebrews 2, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the archegos the champion of their salvation perfect through what he suffered he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by their fear of death the word archegos is the word that meant champion when david and goliath fought they fought as champions which meant that they fought as substitutes for their armies so that if David won, and then the victory of the entire army was uh, imputed. His victory was imputed to them. If, if uh, Goliath had won, then all of Israel would have been enslaved. In other words, instead of the two armies coming at each other, the two individuals fought. And the defeat or the victory of the individual champion is imputed to their people. What's wonderful about this, of course, is Jesus is the true David. He's the true champion. 
uh, he faced death and he fought it and he defeated it for us. I'm a pastor. I've seen people die and I've talked to people who did not understand the gospel at the end of their lives. I've talked to people who felt like death was coming and they weren't ready. Why? Because they said, I haven't lived a good enough life. Well, they hadn't lived a good enough life. But see, the point is Jesus Christ for Christians already met death and has already basically destroyed its power. And therefore, all it can do is make you more glorious and more wonderful than you are now. The worst thing that can happen is the best thing that can happen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that death has been defeated and death is a defeated enemy. I love how Paul says, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He's taunting death. He's making fun of it. Christians have that kind of confidence. Let's pray. Our Father, we don't feel very confident right now. We do feel frightened. But we pray, Lord, that this week as we consider Easter and consider what your son did and how you raised him from the dead and how he broke the power of death, we pray that you would help us to sense the, uh, uh, these truths that we've looked at here tonight so that we also might not be afraid, not be afraid of it. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have, uh, that death is no longer going to be an agony. Death is no longer going to be something that uh, we have to fear. And yet we also ask that you would enable us to, to not in any way uh, make light of our situation either. And we pray, Lord, you wouldn't make us cavalier either, because we know many, many, many people are suffering. So I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to comfort other people through the courage that you give us through the doctrine of Easter. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.